Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us. Today on the show, we're going to talk a little about, and I realize this is early, post-harvest wheat burndown. But we'll talk about just burn down in general as well. So even if you're just putting a crop in today and you need to think about burn down, we'll talk through some of the different burn down options, whether it's pre or post. Uh, In other words, pre-emerge or post-harvest, either way. If you've got any questions for us, you can call us here, 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. Or send us an email, radio at agphd.com. So let me let me start you with this. When we when we start thinking about burn downs this year, I got three main products that I will usually talk to people about with burn down. It's either Roundup, it is Liberty, or it's uh, Gramoxone. So and granted, there are generic alternatives or other brands. Is that a hesitation? You didn't want to use the Gramoxone well, brand. You kind of yeah. you kind of paused there for a I, second because I could have said glyphosate, glufosinate, and paraquat. And yeah, that's why I hesitated on the germoxone. But I mean, the, the whole thing is, whether you're using the name brand, the generic, or the other products that call themselves name brand that have that same active ingredient or something very, very similar, those are the three big ones. Okay, well, when you look at it right now, you can't find Liberty. So dream on on that one. You're not getting any. Um, now, hopefully you do, but I'm just, I'm, I'm kidding, all right? Uh, but to think that you're going to have enough to use it in burn down, no way. So that one's out. Um, Roundup, glyph- let, let's put it this way. Generic glyphosates are very, very tight in supply. Even Corteva's having a tough time supplying their Durango. Uh, Bayer has had had a tough time supplying Roundup. So that molecule is not in abundance right now. So you're basically left with, well, I hope I can get some glyphosate or you got to use gramoxone. And I don't have a real big issue with gramoxone. It, it, it burns weeds down. It's very fast and everything. But the problem that I have with it is it's dangerous. So... Now, it's no more dangerous than the gasoline you put in your car every day or pickup or whatever, but it is something where you have to be much more concerned. And I just get such a charge out of these people who think that Roundup is the worst thing ever. And I'm going, you're nuts. Roundup's never hurt anybody in the world, nor would it. It it works on an enzyme found only in plants. So that active ingredient is very safe. Now, I'm not saying every inert ingredient that's in there is unbelievably safe. But the active ingredient certainly is. And Roundup, if you want to compare Roundup to Gramoxone, there is no comparison. So Gramoxone is way more dangerous to human beings. You have to be very careful about how you're spraying it. It does have new restrictions in terms of you get have a closed handling system and everything else. So for these reasons, a lot of people say, well, I don't really want to use it. I, I don't want our, our guys to use it on our farm. So now basically I'm telling you, you're down to glyphosate if you say, I don't want to use germoxone. And that's because there's no liberty to be had, at least for the next couple of months. So what are you going to do when you're out trying to kill Roundup resistant or glyphosate resistant weeds? That's one of the things that I want to get into today, because there certainly are some options that you can tank mix with glyphosate. Okay, right now we are going to get to the Ag PhD mailbag. It's the mailbag! 
I, I strategically waited till Alex moved to the other side of the room, and then I said, "Okay, let's do mailbag." Yeah, so now, he had to now let's do mailbag. Okay, side. well, this question, Brian, could be a whole show, so we'll see. We'll see where this goes. This one comes from Camilla, who asks, "What is the biggest difficulty for the corn producer in the United States right now?" Uh, what's the biggest difficulty for the corn producer? Now, a year ago today, I would have said the corn price. That that was the biggest difficulty. Today, um, I don't know. I don't know that I have uh, any, any anything that I would say. Oh, you okay? Let me throw a few that. things out so, at you. That okay? I, how about this? High land prices, high cash rent. I mean, this year we've got well, decent price grain. There's a chance it, it to all actually depends make on how, money. Yeah, it all depends on how you want to look at this thing. I mean, are we talking about? Was her question? What's I? I, I guess uh, is is the question to produce it, or is it just overall in your farm management of corn? You see where I'm going with this. So to produce the corn, I'm probably going to say weeds. If you're talking about the business end of things, then yes, I agree with you. It'd be the land price or cash rent. Okay. You also have bacterial diseases, tar spots, some things that we no, haven't necessarily no. got the full answer but it, on. It, it, yeah, but it, it depends on whose farm. So this is a different, it, there's going to be a different answer on many different farms. So for some people, it might be corn rootworms. For other people, it might, it could literally be the fact that you're surrounded completely by soybeans that have volunteer corn and your neighbors all have to spray a volunteer corn herbicide and you're worried about the drift into your corn. That could be your concern. To your point, yeah, it could be some uh, bacterial disease that, quite frankly, we don't have any answer to today. I, I, I mean, there, there really could be a whole host of things. All right. Well, thanks for the question, Camilla. We really appreciate that. And and yeah, it does vary depending on the year as to, to what is and the, the most challenging thing. Yep. All right. I uh, get this one from Justin. He said, you guys are talking about herbicide options for weeds. I had one particular weed, black seed plantain, you were talking about. Just wondering, are there any organic type options? If you were in organic production, how would you go about controlling that particular weed? Well, I would start with this, Justin. I, I think the best weed killer we've got is crop canopy. So if you can grow a good crop and shade that thing out, that's a good way to stop most weeds. Now, we often see black seed plantain in grassy areas. So we would say a couple of things. Number one, cut the grass or cut the hay higher. When we see overgrazing, we see more plantain. When we see lawns mowed very short, we see more black seed plantain. So cutting the grass or hay higher is a, a good way to do it. And that kind of plays into that crop canopy theory. And then the other one that a lot of people don't talk about is increasing fertility. Now, if you're in organic production, who knows what that may be for you and, and exactly what you're growing, I don't know. But increasing fertility helps the grass or whatever crop you're growing around it out-compete the weeds. So focus on fertility and crop canopy. That's what I would do. Thanks for the question, Justin. We'll be right back after this. When it comes to weed control, our cards have always been on the table. Because we believe you deserve near-zero volatility, flexible tank mixing, and a wide application window. That's the Enlist Weave Control System. Just better. With no ifs, ands, or buts. Discover better weed control. Enlist.com. Enlist.com. You're looking for soybeans that give you the yield you want. 
But when it comes to fighting your toughest weeds, you also need flexibility. Introducing Extend Flex Soybeans. Elite genetics with triple tolerance to dicamba, glyphosate, and glufosinate. The yield you want, the choice you need. Learn more at extendflexsoy.com. Always read and follow IRM where applicable, grain marketing, and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. If you're a student seeking a career in agriculture or just want to learn more about raising good crops, at Ag PhD, we have some great news for you. On Saturday, June 26th, we're holding an Ag PhD Young Farmers Field Day right here on our farm. In addition to providing great information, we'll be heading into the fields to show you the principles of agronomy and crop scouting firsthand. College scholarships will be available to eligible attendees too. For more information and to register for the Young Farmers Field Day, visit agphd.com. This is Quick Dick McDick from Tufnell asking you, have you heard of Mandaco Land Rollers? They're the ones with the green paint, and I'm not talking about the green paint that requires a technician and a laptop to fix. I'm talking about the Mandaco green paint that doesn't need fixing because it's built tough. We're talking 5 8 thick, 42-inch diameter drums, people, and I've learned never to talk about size unless you can back it up when a measuring tape gets pulled out. So keep your seed and rocks in the ground where they belong and get yourself a roller at mandaco.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're broadcasting from the Morton studio today and we're talking about post-harvest wheat burn down. And obviously a lot of things that we're talking about and the strategies we're talking about here would would apply to any burn down that you're doing. And there, there are definitely considerations that you need to have when you're doing a burn down. Brian talked about a few of the things going on this year already out in fields, but we're excited to take your calls and questions throughout the show. If you have any other burn down tips or ideas or questions, 844-44-AG-PHD is our phone number, or you can email us radio at agphd.com. Let's head down to Kansas. We've got Adam on with us right now. Adam, how are you doing? Oh, pretty good. We're just uh, stuck out of the field because of moisture, which is good because we were starting to feel like we couldn't buy a rain there for a while, but we're getting pretty soaked up right now and avoided nasty storms. It's been getting rain, no hail, so that part's pretty good. Yeah, it's always good when the moisture comes in the liquid form. I know in the winter, too, I say, I don't want any moisture in the solid form, whether it's snow or whether it's hail. It's not a good thing for me. Uh, okay, so we're talking about burn down today in wheat. Uh, just kind of curious, what are your strategies? So you do get awfully dry in Kansas. You do get hot, but then you get some rains and you get another flush of weeds coming. How, how do you deal with that? Um, yeah, it's been, it's, it's, it's a challenge. Um, you know, we're kind of, we've become pretty reliant on, on paraquat anymore. And, uh, you know, that, but that doesn't help with your grasses. And so you kind of have to do a little bit of an alternation with, uh, uh, a roundup with uh, some sort of broadleaf action to try to knock stuff back a little bit and then come back and clean up the stuff you missed with paraquat. Um, there are guys who just do, you know, paraquat without, without like a roundup in there, but those are normally pretty easy to see because they'll have big, you know, their, their grasses will get kind of big in the summer where it doesn't get knocked back, but they don't have pigweed, so they're not getting out there after it, so... Um, but it, it's, it's a challenge, uh, anymore, especially with no-till fields. Um, the way our fall was, we, 
there's there's quite a bit of wheat streak in our area and I, I wouldn't say the guys didn't do a good job of controlling their volunteer it was a combination of a really dry end of summer where, where stuff didn't die that well and then uh it, it never it just kind of stayed warm and things just kind of kept infesting themselves i guess but we get a lot of questions about residuals in this situation. Do you see many guys doing that in your area? And I know when it's grass that we're talking about, it's a challenge if you want to come back and plant another grass crop too. Yeah, there's some guys that will put some metribuzin in in that first paraquat spray uh, right right after harvest, but. I mean, we can have a little bit of a challenge where, especially if it's if we had really thick straw and it's we're really dry going into harvest, you might not get that flush of pigweeds for a while either, which is what we're really going after. And so, you know, that that's that's our challenge. Um, it seems like if we're going from wheat into soybeans, a really good program is if we can go paraquat and three ounces of valor or a generic and that can actually seems like that can carry you most of the summer and you might get by with just a shot of roundup to clean up your grasses and your beans late but um and that's that's where we're you know we're right on the edge of that double crop line where a double crop is an option so if we can do that 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 managing the summer that that's a lot easier than having to try to keep it clean from june to um October. Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. We've we have seen a lot of good luck with Valor and you know, one of the things too that Adam mentioned there, Brian, and I'll throw this question past you. What about where that residue's thick? And I know a lot of guys like that to try to conserve moisture and so forth, but it's a challenge getting that herbicide down through there and down into the soil if you're not getting a lot of rain. <laughs> that's the whole thing. You either have to have tillage or you have to have rain. If you have neither, then it's not going to get down there. If you have one or the other, it will get down there fairly well. So I, I know a lot of people worry about the, the thick residue and everything and, oh, my herbicide isn't going to get down to the soil. Generally speaking, it gets down fairly well, but you've got to have rain. And not just like we've been getting the last few days, a tenth of an inch. That's not going to cut it. you got to probably have an inch or two, and then it'll get down into the ground and get activated. And so I, more than anything, if you, if you want to spray it on there, take your chances either number one, time it before rain or, and I'm not talking like an hour before rain. I'm saying, okay, the forecast looks good. A couple days from now, really good chance for rain. I might do something like that. Putting a residual herbicide out. Otherwise you just do a lot of praying and hope for the best. So that, that's about all I can really say. All right. Thanks, Adam. We really appreciate having you on and good luck here through the season. Hopefully that rain keeps coming for you. All right. Thank you very much. You have a good one. You bet. Let's head up to North Dakota, another area that could really use some rain. we got Dean on with us right now. Dean, how are you doing? Doing good, guys. You know, one of the things that we're talking about here with post-harvest burndown is, is when do you do it? And this is one I know a lot of our applications that we're making in-crop, we say, well, if we're going to err, let's err on the side of being too early. But if you're doing that post-harvest burndown, you don't want to be out there all the time. So that, that can be a little tricky when you don't know exactly when the when the weather's going to change and you're going to catch another rain and another flush of weeds. How, how do you guys handle it? Yeah, we've kind of found that holding off the longer we are, 
it uh, it seems to work out better for us to let let that frost come in and um, and let let everything come. We have our biggest trouble up here trying to uh, time it for the downy brome and a few of few of those type of cheat grasses, which which are tough because they sometimes come in early and um, so it's yeah it, it 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 can be a challenge, especially on a dry um, uh, warm fall. Now, in North Dakota, a little different weed spectrum. We were talking to Adam down in Kansas, and he, he's talking about a lot of palmer pigweed. Is it mostly kochia? Is that the biggest challenge for you? Yeah, in, in season, kochia is a, is a, it's a big problem for us up here. And like this spring now, you know, without the moisture to, to go with your, um, your Spartans and some of, the, some of the ones that you need to get down and activate, um, yeah, it's it's going to be a concern in the soybeans this year. And it's getting so that even in the wheat, that kosher is getting tougher every every year to, to knock out, it seems like. so. You know, the rotational crop is so important. Adam was talking about if he was following with soybeans, he was he was utilizing some fall valor and these types of things. What What's the crop mix this year? There's been a lot of speculation about what's happening up in North Dakota. I guess we're talking right to you, Dean. So it's it's your uh, <laughs> your forum here. What What's happening up there? What mix are guys planting? Well, there's uh, the, the wheat acres are down. A lot of soybeans going in up in this area. Uh, a little bit of corn. Some of the corn guys got burnt a couple years ago, having to take that corn off in February, March. So it, it's it's not not so much. But um, the, the soybeans have, have come in are, are going to be the majority of the crop in this area. Uh, the way it's looking, and and, and the conditions for seeding have been uh, they've been good. Uh, just enough to get it get it up but we're right at the point right now where we need the moisture to to get these things going and and it's cold it's 43 degrees here this morning so things are it's it's a really slow spring we've got going up here yeah, you mentioned the cold weather, and a lot of times that's that's another challenge when we're doing many of these burn downs. Like, like you had mentioned, waiting till after frost on some of this stuff, or or the early spring burn down situation where, man, we we need it to warm up to get glyphosate to work, to get paraquat to work, and all these choices that we've got. Uh, you're seeing a lot of tank mixes. I'm betting on on these burn down applications now. Yeah, there, there's more. You have to look at what's out there and, and aim for that anymore. Like you said, the, just going with the straight glyphosate is, uh, it's, it's getting, getting pretty, pretty tough to do. Yeah, especially with kochia. For for those of you listening who aren't in the kochia areas of the country, I'm sure Dean could package some up and send your way if you need a new weed <laughs> challenge. It's, it's no fun, I'll tell you that. Uh, we're talking with Dean up in northern North Dakota right now. Dean, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on. Good luck. Hopefully you guys catch some rain here real soon. Stay tuned. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Maintaining your crops is as important now as it's ever been. Howler, a revolutionary fungicide from AgBiome, can help. It provides long-lasting protection from a broad spectrum of foliar and soil diseases that affect crops. Howler is OMRI listed, has multiple modes of action, and has minimal pre-harvest and re-entry intervals. It's flexible, easy to use, and is available right now. Visit agbiome.com forward slash howler to learn more. 
When it comes to innovative herbicide formulations, you know New Farm. They've been bringing growers trusted brands like Panther, Credit Extreme, and Cheetah for decades, made right here in the USA. What's your favorite New Farm brand? Email it to turnuptheburn at newfarm.com and you'll be entered to win a monthly $1,000 product giveaway. In these challenging times, we know you're under pressure. New Farm's here to help. Don't miss the Ag PhD Field Day this year. After postponing last season, we're back and better than ever, and we have a lot of catching up to do. With the latest in ag technologies on display in our plots, in-person sessions with the world's top farmers, and tons of entertainment, food, and more, it's a day you won't want to miss. Thursday, July 29th, right here on the Hefty Farm. For more information and to register for the Ag PhD Field Day, visit agphd.com. Help keep the toughest, most resistant diseases out of your fields with Lucinto fungicide from FMC. An exclusive novel premix of two modes of action delivers broad-spectrum control and a long-lasting protective residual. Tackle key diseases in corn, soybeans, wheat, peanuts, and sugar beets. Choose Lucinto fungicide from FMC. Visit your FMC retailer or lucinto.ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow label directions for use. No matter what time of the year it is on your farm, with a Bayer Plus Rewards program, earning and redeeming rewards are always in season. Because when you buy two or more eligible seed or crop protection products throughout the year, you earn $3 per acre in cashback rewards. Cash you can redeem and reinvest in your farm later in the season. That's Bayer Plus Rewards. And that's how we're helping make every part of your season, well, rewarding. Visit MyBayerPlus.com to learn more. See program terms and conditions for full details. Give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season with MycoApply Indoprime SC. MycoApply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. Learn more about MycoApply Indoprime SC at IndoprimeCorn.com. Always read and follow label instructions. Uh, what a year to try to control weeds, 2021. It's been interesting so far. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio here. We're talking about post-harvest wheat burndown. Let's go right into the heart of the beast here, Kansas. When it gets hot and dry, Kansas is certainly a place I think about, and that makes weed control tough. we got Dr. Sarah Lancaster on right now with Kansas State. Sarah, thanks for joining us. Hi, glad to be here. You know, everything is so easy when it comes to weed control, when the weather condition's nice, you get an inch of rain every week, and it's 75, 80 degrees, but Kansas never has that, does it? It's always 100, or it's hasn't rained in a month. It seems like you guys always have challenges. I think so. I think so. Right now, we're actually facing kind of an unusual challenge for much of our state. We've had pretty substantial rains in a lot of places. We went from being behind on rainfall to pretty far ahead um, on t- as far as the total rainfall for the year here in the last couple of weeks. So well, It's not we, a bad place to be in. going into the <laughs> hot months of the summer here to at least have some moisture in the soil. That's okay. That's right, and it's going to probably make things a little bit challenging for folks when they think about cleaning up their fields after they get their wheat harvested here in, here in just a few weeks. 
Yeah, plenty of moisture to get that next flush of weeds started, and then you take away all the crop canopy. One of the questions that we had already on the show is, how early is too early to be out there? And another one is, what do you think about putting residual herbicides in here as well? Is that going to be important this year? You know, one of the things that we as weed scientists talk about a lot is the importance of residual herbicides. And, you know, there is certainly a place for them in this after wheat um, slot in the rotation. Some of that, though, is going to depend on what are your intentions for recropping. Um, as we think about the eastern part of Kansas, you know, we have a lot of folks that will want to go back with maybe double crop soybeans after that. So that limits a little bit um, some of the things they can do in terms of residual. But folks that are going into a, a longer fallow period, absolutely, residuals are, are an important piece of that, that mixture. You know, the emergence of Palmer pigweed, it seems like almost every farmer we talk to in Kansas is talking about Palmer. And, man, Roundup used to be so important to us. I know there's still some Roundup that gets used primarily for grasses, but is Paraquat now the the solution growers are turning to, or are they doing something different trying to burn down all the Palmer that's out there? You know, our guys do use a lot of Paraquat, to my understanding, especially in this um, burn down after wheat period in the rotation. So as we think about using paraquat, you know, um, those hot temperatures are, are great for paraquat activity. Um, if things turn off dry, yeah, that's not so great. Um, but paraquat does get used a lot, especially paraquat um, in combination with things like atrazine. Those photosystem 2 inhibitors can kind of make that um, tank mix or make that herbicide application just a little little more efficacious, efficacious, and plus you get a little bit of residual activity there as well. Okay, so you mentioned the, the residuals and, and looking at what you're going to plant in there next, and obviously that's a that's a big key because you don't want to have anything carry over and, and hurt the next crop. And one thing that we had for a question earlier too is just a lot of the no-till acres it gets to be a pretty thick mat of, of straw out there. What do you recommend with that in terms of uh, applying products? I know it's going to take some moisture to get through. Do we have to try and go a little earlier when we've got a lot of straw out there in a no-till situation, or, or do you not change anything? From my perspective, one of the biggest things to think about when you get into these high-residue situations, whether that be after wheat or, you know, right now here in East Kansas, we're thinking about cover crop burndown, and so the same sorts of things kind of apply in terms of getting product through that residue. Um, there's, there's a little bit of mixed research on droplet size, so I don't know that you need to worry about that a whole lot, but the evidence is pretty clear that increasing your spray volume is pretty important for getting through um, dense canopies or through dense um, layers of residue on the surface of the soil. And so, you know, nobody wants to have to haul more water or to take that much extra time to get things done. You know, that's a, a busy time of year. But in order to get that maximum activity, especially out of your residuals, um, using the right amount of water can be really um, key in terms of having a application that you're happy with and an application that maybe you wish would have been a little bit better. Uh, always those little tips that make such a big difference and and pushing using volume to push product down through, especially on these soil residuals, uh, definitely can make a difference out in the field. We're talking to Dr. Sarah Lancaster here with Kansas State. Sarah, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on. Good luck to you and all the growers down in Kansas. Hey, thanks. Thanks. Same to you guys. Set up to North Dakota again, this time southern North Dakota. We've got Eric on with us right now as a consultant up there and also a farmer. Eric, how are you doing? 
Good. How are you doing, Darren? Well, pretty well. Pretty well. Okay, so we're talking to Dean up in northern North Dakota. Very dry up there. What's southern North Dakota like right now? Uh, we're right on the edge. We're we have moisture to get the crop started. Um, I mean, the field conditions were probably the best planting we've ever had since I don't know. I'd say probably 2012 or 13, and we're going to need some timely rains here in mid-June, but um, you don't have to go very far west of us, maybe one hour, and it's a lot drier. So we've been fortunate so far. We're talking today about post-harvest wheat burn down. Has that changed a lot in your area over the years? Or are you seeing a lot of Roundup-resistant weeds or cover crops coming in, anything like that that's, that's influencing what you're doing? Uh, yeah, a little bit. There's a lot less wheat for, uh, first for, for one, but then you're watching the residual or the carryover of those herbicides to some of the particular cover crops and which ones you choose. But the last couple of years has been so wet here that yes, there's been a lot of cover crops going in and then you just have to watch the herbicides that you use after for, you know, if they affect that cover crop from emerging. You know, when we think about burn down in North Dakota, it seems like whenever I'm talking to someone in North Dakota and I say, well, we'd love to have 75, 80 degree weather and almost everybody stops me right there. Okay, that's that's a pipe dream. It doesn't happen that often. Uh, what do you find that's helping things work better when it gets a little colder in a burn down? Um, basically increasing your NIS and then increasing the rate of Roundup by 30 40 percent um waiting for it to not if you get down that mid 30s it seems like it just it, it'll work it'll just take longer unless it's a tougher tougher weed um so yeah just using the right water volume and and waiting for the right time it's hard to be patient but it it will it will pay off in the end all right, so finally got some warmer weather coming up here. Where are you at? Where's the, what stage of crop growth are you at with the various crops you got on your farm? Um, we're, we're about, uh, like the first corn we planted is, is we, we didn't start planting until like last Monday, so the 10th I think it was, and everything's coming up super fast, but we're getting like 15 heat units a day now. So, I mean, we've had corn out of the ground in six to seven days which usually doesn't happen here but the emergence has been very good and beans are popping up real fast so it, it doesn't give you much time to get the uh, spartan or verdict any of those kind of trees on that half beyond before the crop emerges so that's been a challenge and then we've had a few windy days but um you just gotta change your plan a little bit and and then uh spray accordingly yeah, it's always changing, no doubt about that, and there's definitely wind to contend with in the state of North Dakota. We're talking with Eric up in North Dakota right now. Eric, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on, and good luck here. Hopefully the, the warm weather continues and you guys catch some rain too. Yeah, thanks, Darren. Good luck to you also. Yeah, thanks. Talking about post-harvest wheat burn down on our show today, but of course we're taking any agronomic question. Got one that came in here from Roger in Illinois. He said, "Guys, got a got a boron question for you. We're targeting some boron applications in soybeans. Is flowering a good time to spray boron on beans?" 
Well, you can try some at that stage. To think that you're going to get massive yield gains, I seriously doubt it. We've tried a lot of stuff in soybeans. Just keep the rate low. You know, you don't, I, I probably wouldn't do tons of acres or anything else. Hopefully that helps. Hopefully that's a yield limiting factor for you. But here's why I'm very hesitant because I don't see your soil tests or your tissue tests. So there are a lot of other nutrients that could be holding you back rather than boron. But yeah, by all means, if you want to try some, absolutely do it. And flowering would probably be a good time. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Introducing the next generation of weed control in wheat, Wide AR Match Herbicide. Uh, I'm sorry, is this a typo? I mean, there's an AR in the middle of Wide Match. Mm-hmm, that's the name. It's called Wide R Match Herbicide. Oh, my bad. From the top. <clears throat> Introducing Wide R Match from Corteva AgriScience. It's not a typo. It's an upgrade. The AR stands for RLX Active for improved control of the toughest broadleaf weeds in wheat. Talk with your retailer to learn more. Morton Buildings knows that great buildings need great people, and we want you to be the newest member of our team. Morton is expanding its construction crew, and we're seeking new and experienced candidates to fill our crew member positions. Morton provides great pay and training, so be a part of the next generation to build Morton. Don't let the opportunity to join the best construction crew in the business pass you by. Learn more on our careers page at mortonbuildings.com. AgroLiquid is precision crop nutrition. That means being committed to product performance, to research and field testing, and to superior agronomics. Most of all, AgroLiquid is committed to delivering precisely the right nutrition in the right way, including seed-safe planter plus side dress applications and foliar applications with low burn risk. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. A lot goes into keeping a precision operation moving. The inputs you choose have to deliver results. New Delaro Complete Fungicide from Bayer offers unmatched consistency and the most complete disease control available. Your corn and soybeans are protected and yields higher even in unpredictable conditions. With Delaro Complete, you get results you can count on to help keep your precision operation running smoothly. Always read and follow label instructions. To learn more, visit delarocomplete.us today. If you're a student seeking a career in agriculture or just want to learn more about raising good crops, at AgPhD we have some great news for you. On Saturday, June 26th, we're holding an AgPhD Young Farmers Field Day right here on our farm. In addition to providing great information, we'll be heading into the fields to show you the principles of agronomy and crop scouting firsthand. College scholarships will be available to eligible attendees too. For more information and to register for the Young Farmers Field Day, visit agphd.com. Downtime during spraying can lead to huge yield losses. Keep rolling with the Pentair Hypro Force Field. This pump features a unique self-regulated chamber that allows the pump to run dry while eliminating cracked seals, so you can spray longer and more reliably. Learn more at pentair.com hypro. Start your crop off right with the Germinator Closing Wheel from Farm Shop MFG. Our spike design excels on variable soils and shatters compaction. Plus, the unique shoulder firmer encases the seed to maximize seed-to-soil contact. Order yours at farmshopmfg.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. Our phone lines are open. If you have an agronomic question, we'd love to help you. 844-44-AG-PHD. 
you can always email us, radio at agphd.com. Okay, so when we talk about burn-down situations, there are some other products that I wanted to mention, because earlier we were talking about, yep, you could certainly use Gramoxone, but if you're concerned about the safety aspect of it, um, since Liberty's not available, nor will it be for at least a couple of months, if not three, you're kind of down to glyphosate. Well, if you've got glyphosate-resistant weeds, that makes it challenging. So what we usually talk about throwing in the tank with glyphosate is either 2,4-D, dicamba, Sharpen, or Valor. So the Sharpen and Valor are both PPO products that have good residual and pretty good burn down, especially the Sharpen. Sharpen burns stuff down fast. The thing is, if you want more burn down out of a Sharpen or Valor, you're going to want to put some crop oil or methylated seed oil with it. Maybe even as much as a quart per acre of MSO or COC. With 2,4-D and dicamba, you have to worry about drift. You have to worry about if it's a burn down in advance of planting, then you got to worry about crop safety. Now, after planting or after harvest, I should say, so, you know, we were talking post-harvest wheat burn downs here. Well, then 2,4-D or dicamba is usually fine, but you got to look at what are the neighboring crops. So if you're in an area that raises nothing but wheat, that's, you know, it's not a big deal. If everybody's got their wheat cut, you don't have a whole lot of risk. But if you're in an area that has a lot of soybeans, for example, and you're going to be spraying dicamba anywhere near the soybeans, now you got to worry a lot, not just about drift, but about volatility as well. So that's why we get concerned about 2,4-D and dicamba. Now, you could certainly switch to the new 2,4-D if you wanted to, Freelex, but I guess I would be concerned about drift in those areas because you're, if it's post-harvest wheat burn down, think about it. The weather's probably going to be warm. The hotter it is, the more risk you have in terms of volatility, a little bit more risk in terms of drift. So just be real careful about that. And then also don't get too chintzy on the rates because sometimes what happens is you get out there and you're burning down and weeds are bigger than you thought they were going to be. We all like to have this rosy outlook like, oh, the weeds are only going to be two to four inches tall and we're going to be timely and it's all going to work out perfect. Believe me, I feel the same way. And then sometimes you go out there and we're like, doggone it, I am a week late. I'm three days late. Whatever it is, my weeds are six, eight inches tall. Just bump your rate a little bit. It's not the end of the world, but you got to have an appropriate rate for the weed that's out there. And let's turn it around the other way. If you're trying to save money by using low rates, you're going to have a lot more success if you can spray when the weeds are small. So try to be timely with your applications and you should be in good shape. All right, we're going to jump back to the phone lines. We've got Shane calling from Montana. Shane, how are you doing today? How are you? Doing great. What's going on on your uh, farm today? Oh, I'm out pulling waste ditches in some grain. We're getting ready to possibly irrigate. Oh, sure. So, yeah. Pretty dry out dry, there? But it is, yeah. Yeah, of course, we're, we're always, we're in eastern Montana, <laughs> so we don't get a lot of rain. But, uh, yeah, we're a little drier than normal. Yep, yep. Uh, I heard you had some questions for us, maybe. Yeah, so I was listening to your a recording of your show the other day and you were talking about split applying your herbicide and gibberellic acid and we went ahead and this is our first year trying it yep. and we went ahead and threw it in with our roundup 
okay. application, our first roundup. Sure. And you, you made the point of most of it is going to get on the ground, and I was just <laughs> curious for our, our future applications if we should be waiting until that corn's a little taller. We're at B2 or B3 right now. Sure. Well, let's put it this way. Gibberellic acid's labeled at V2 and V3, so there's no problem with that. Uh, it's just simply, I kind of looked at on our farm, if I'm going to go out with a broadcast application, yeah, a lot of it I just felt it's going to hit the ground. Now, it, it doesn't cost that much money, but I, I, I'm, I have to assume, being a farmer from Montana, you look at cost a lot, just like we do. We were It was ingrained in our head from our grandpa to our dad, our, both our grandpas to our dad. Like, we don't want to waste money. I don't mind investing money. I just don't want to waste it. And so that was one of my big concerns is when I start looking at it, I go, well, technically, yes, you could throw it with Roundup. It's not going to hurt anything. But... If I don't get it on the plant, then what good did that really do me? So, I, I mean, you'll just have to see how it turns out, and maybe it's all fine, and you did save yourself a trip, so that's absolutely a good thing because you got to look at, hey, even if I save 2 or $3 on, oh, I could cut back by banding or whatever, you spend that up in an extra trip. So there are different ways to look at that thing. So I'm, I'm certainly not going to fault you for what you did. That's It's probably a good idea if you got lots of acres to cover but that was just my concern and with gibberellic acid you'll probably get a benefit in montana you get a lot of cold nights out there for a long time yet so i mean you could have gone later you could certainly go at that v2 v3 stage it's it's really up to you when you want to do it sure yep okay and what kind of uh, i see the label we had was what 0.3 to 0.6 yep ounces per acre so you're probably looking at rise up you're probably looking at rise up smart grass yeah okay yeah yes yeah so yeah somewhere you guys on the higher end or well normally we've been telling guys half an ounce and in some cases three tenths but this year as high as the commodity prices are and the fact that the stuff doesn't cost that much we're going six tenths on everything when we do it and it'll probably be another 10 days probably before we start making our applications of dubrilic acid. So our, I mean, a lot of our silage corn is just poking out of the ground right now. Uh, it may, might be a little bit bigger, might be a V1 or something like that. So we got a little bit of time. Uh, but anyway, yeah, we're going to be pushing to 0.6. A lot of the stuff we've done in the past has been 0.4 or 0.5 ounces and it's worked good. There was one year in particular, uh, one of the first years we did it on corn, um, and more for demonstration purposes than anything, but we had about, call it 100 acres that sits right next to our Ag PhD field day site. And so when you drove into the to our big field day every year, the parking was right along this corn. And that corn was a foot taller than any other corn we had on the farm. And it was all because, it wasn't the variety, because it was the same variety in some cases, but it was all because we sprayed that gibberellic acid. And I, I don't remember that year when we sprayed it exactly, V3, V4, something like that, I think. Uh, and I think we used a half an ounce. I think we were 0.5 ounces. But yeah, I mean, it was an extra foot. And people kept walking into the field day, oh my gosh, what'd you do to that corn back there? <laughs> Well, it's just gibberellic acid. It didn't, it didn't cost us more. You know, it wasn't even $5 cost. So, anyway. Sure. Yep. Well, we're trying, doing some trials on a couple of fields. So, we're pretty excited to see what it does. So. Yeah. Yep. All right. Sounds good. But, yep. Well, thank you. You bet. Thanks for the call, Shane. Appreciate it. 
Yeah, yeah. This gibberellic acid we were talking about the other day, you could use that in silage corn. You could use that in pasture grass. What we've seen is more tonnage. Okay, we haven't really seen yield. So we've tried it in wheat. We've tried it in a number of things. We just haven't seen the yield gain that we thought we could potentially get. The crop looks better. It gets taller, um, but and and we do have more tonnage. So if you're not, but if you're not after tonnage. We just haven't seen this this big gain that we were kind of hoping for. But yeah, on silage corn, honestly, I just think it's an absolute no-brainer that you spray gibberellic acid out there when your crop is small. And same thing for pasture grass. So you hit it early in the spring and you hit it again in the fall and you absolutely will have more tonnage if you time that right. What we're usually looking for is nighttime temps down into the 50s, daytime temps maybe touching 70 or something like that. But gibberellic acid is naturally produced in the plant. The higher the temperature, the higher the level of gibberellic acid. And the more gibberellic acid you have, the more elongation of that stem you will have. So in other words, the taller the crop. So this is why, like, and I'm just going to use the old-timey farmer phrase, in the old days, what everybody used to talk about is delaying their silage planting a long time so then they would get taller corn. And for grain corn, you want to plant as early as possible so you keep the grain short so you don't have as much stuff to run through the combine because all you really care about is the grain. Now we can accomplish that same thing for getting more tonnage, still planting early, just spraying gibberellic acid on the plant. Stay tuned, we'll be right back. Give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season with MycoApply Indoprime SC. MycoApply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. Learn more about MycoApply Indoprime SC at IndoprimeCorn.com. Always read and follow label instructions. Don't miss the Ag PhD Field Day this year. After postponing last season, we're back and better than ever, and we have a lot of catching up to do. With the latest in ag technologies on display in our plots, in-person sessions with the world's top farmers, and tons of entertainment, food, and more, it's a day you won't want to miss. Thursday, July 29th, right here on the Hefty Farm. For more information and to register for the Ag PhD Field Day, visit agphd.com. If you're looking to get the most out of your foliar nutrition and fungicide programs, ask your ag retailer about Nutex EDA from Sipcam Agro. Nutex EDA has been proven to increase foliar micronutrient tissue levels and maintain those levels for an extended period of time. When tank mixed with fungicides, Nutex EDA helps support plant health, resulting in higher quality and yields. Nutex EDA is an affordable and effective solution that should be part of every grower's high yield toolbox. As a little girl, I always wanted to run the combine because it meant I was helping dad. And dad always said, farmers are helpers. I'm teaching that to my daughters, that farmers help our family, our neighbors, and our community. It's what I do at work. I help farmers get the equipment they need. My name is Kim, I'm a farmer, and I work for Case IH. Case IH, built by farmers. Revitech Fungicide from BASF has been specifically developed for the selective soybean grower who doesn't compromise. If you think good is good enough, if you're okay with just achieving rather than overachieving, if average is your goal, this is not the fungicide for you. 
Revitech fungicide, brand new chemistry, three no excuse modes of action, zero modes of compromise. Sounds like the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide from BASF. That's smart. Always read and follow label directions. Customer service goes a long way when trying something new. Ryan Shaw from Michigan shares how Soil Warrior helped him transition to strip tillage in his operation. The Soil Warrior guys, they are amazing to work with. They made this jump in this transition extremely painless. It, one question that I get all the time is, how is the service and everything? And I said, well, actually, I get better service from them than I typically do my dealers uptown. They're just amazing. More info at SoilWarrior.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Martin Studio and taking your calls and questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. All right, Brian, I got one that, frankly, it's a little scary. This one comes from D.C., who is in Arkansas and has conventional soybeans they planted three weeks ago. Didn't get the pre-emerge herbicide on. He said, he, he said, I do have a third of a pound of Metribuzin that I put out there with Roundup a couple of days before I planted, but I'm mostly worried about pigweed, knowing that I didn't get my pre on. I have generic Dual and Flexstar already bought and at home, but yep. I was saving those for my second spray. No. I've got a little bit of pigweed coming right now. It's a half inch tall. Yeah, you got to use I'm wondering the... if Cadet is any good. Thinking about Look. putting Anthem Max out there. What do you think? Okay, so the dual and flex star thing, that's what I'd be doing first. So just do that and have it over with, and then you see what comes after that. Will Cadet help? Sure, but why why burn that up right now? Use your Flexstar now because Flexstar has the most risk for carryover, so that should be sprayed earliest. Uh, plus, Dual only has residual control, no contact activity. So you want to get that out earlier than later. Anthem Max is basically the same thing as a Warrant Ultra or uh, what you are creating, Dual Flexstar, in that it's got a group 15 plus a PPO. So the group 15 in Anthem Max is Zidua, and the PPO is Cadet. So if you want to go that direction rather than going dual Flexstar, either way, I, I mean, it's fine. Personally, um, all, all I can tell you is you got to get something out there and quickly. You've got to get some residual my opinion is you've got to get some residual out there so you don't have a weed disaster coming soon and this way you're at least somewhat protected so when you do get some rains and you can't spray a post-emerge product exactly at the right time later you're suppressing most of the weeds out there and hopefully this is going to help but yeah i mean you might have to do both things in other words anthem max plus later on your dual Flexstar or vice versa. I I personally would get that Flexstar out first, but whichever way you want to go. So yeah, and in the future, especially in conventional soybeans, you if you can get pre's on, it's so helpful because otherwise you've now missed out on the entire mode of action for Metribuzin and for the yellows. You can't use those at all post. No, no, he did use Metribuzin. Well, I thought he, you, he you put just, that out with I Roundup. Thought, I, I told said, you that he put that out with Roundup two days before he planted three weeks ago. But he wanted to get other pre-residuals oh, okay, out okay, and didn't okay, get them okay. out. So I, I'm okay, assuming missed, like a valor, an authority, that. that kind of thing. Yeah, okay. Yeah, because 
I thought you said something, but then you said he he missed the result. So I'm, I was a little confused. Okay, sorry. But anyway, nevertheless, I'd still be getting a yellow out there pre. That's the biggest one that you've missed out on that would have been helpful for many of the weeds that you're going to fight now. All right, thanks for the question, and good luck, DC. This one comes from Larry, and he's down in Iowa. He said, I was listening to your radio show last Friday, and Brandon made a comment about getting involved in carbon credits. Uh, work for a company based out of Seattle, and they are gathering information from landowners and putting it on a spreadsheet to predict how much CO2 is being captured and held in fields. And their base price is 15 bucks, and there's a service fee of 10%, and they want a 10-year contract. And he said most farmers that are getting involved in this are no-till, strip-till, vertical-till guys uh, using a three-culture-type system and animal manure to replace commercial fertilizer. So he said some are using cover crops, not as many as I believe are going with reduced till. You know, there there's so many questions around this and what, what you would have to change in terms of practices. We were talking about cover crops just a little bit. And, yeah, I'm not I'm not sharing the company name or any of that stuff or trying to Look. get anyone to sign up by reading the question, Brian, but I thought – it would be interesting just to, to hear what people are doing that are getting into this. And most of them are getting into it with reduced tillage. Some are getting in with cover crops as part of their practice. Okay. Well, I got two comments. Number one, 10 years is too long. So we don't know what this thing could look like in 10 years. $15 could literally be $100 an acre or it could be zero. We don't know what it's going to be 10 years out. Heck, we don't even know what it's going to be two months from now. So I, I just I would have a lot of reservations doing anything for 10 years. The next thing is it's going to be hard, in my opinion, to get many people to sign up to do carbon credit things because it's just not paying enough based on where commodity prices are at. So if you talk about $15, yet you got to invest some money in, in making some changes, the, the payoff isn't big enough. So farmers are very willing to do, um, do extra things if – it pays, but when it when there's no big payback, it's just it's hard. So yeah, there are going to certainly be some people interested, and we do believe that in the future there are going to be more opportunities for farmers to make good money on things like this. But uh, there there are going to be a lot of options coming down the road. So I'll I'll just leave it at that. All right, got this one from Tracy, and Tracy said I've got an issue. We've got a three quarter acre pond. And the pH of the water is 8 or even close to 9. I've got a few situations around me, and I'm wondering if they are leading to this higher pH in our pond. There's a septic company that empties their trucks in the fields of a 150-acre farm that is uphill from us. We've got a cattle pasture uphill from us. And... I just wonder if either of those activities could be causing our pH to rise or if there are other things that could be leading to this and any suggestions on how we could reduce the pH in our pond. Yeah, I don't know. That's that, that's not really up our alley. I mean, if you want to ask me how to raise a better corn crop, I can help you. <laughs> but yeah, it's, you know what I mean? You know, does, so, does a, a manure I, type application 
up upstream change your pH? Not necessarily. If it it was, all depends I, on if I they're mean, injecting the manure or that kind of thing, if I they're would, tilling it in. I would almost think that that would lower your pH, not raise your pH. Well, I'm wondering if the three-quarter acre part of this is really what's going on, that the pond is small enough that with evaporation, as water evaporates out, right. if you have a buildup yes. of salts yes. and other things that are in the water that's leading to that change, that would be an interesting thing. The well, other wait, thing is wait, I whoa, would, whoa! You said change. Did we? Do we know that there is change? We don't know that there's change. We just know that right now the pH with with uh, using the uh, just pH testing strips in the water is at least eight and maybe even nine, depending on what color uh, that that strip comes out of the water at. So it's higher pH. I'm curious what your groundwater pH is. I know a lot of well water coming out in this area is around eight. So uh, it could it could potentially be that too. Yeah, it could. But is I mean, is stuff coming up, or is it is it rainfall? Is I mean, I, I don't know. And then I don't know how yeah, the plants change. It. I don't know what the pH not, of the rainwater yeah, is. And There's I, a lot of lot of variables. So yeah, I apologize. I'm no real expert in what's going to change water pH with certain plants and that kind of thing. Yeah. I'd be really curious but, if that water level has changed in the pond, or if it's been very now, stable. Now wait a second. Why do we care about this? What's what's is this causing a problem or what? Well, they they're not sure. Just they they know that pH is high and they don't believe it to be good. Okay, I I I'd just say I don't I don't necessarily know that it's not good. You know, I mean, what what's it hurting for it to be eight? Yep, I don't if, know. If it indeed is eight. So I, I would probably sure pull a I'm water sure Tracy quality has, sample. Yeah, I'm sure Tracy has a lot more to the story. Well, okay. So so here's what I would do. And again, I'm no expert on this, but we are all more experts on everything when we have more data. So what I would do is I would pull a water quality sample and I would send it into a lab for analysis. And let's find out what all is in there. And then maybe there's something that you say, oh, that's the thing. That's what's causing the pH to be high. I don't know what that is because we're right now just quite frankly kind of guessing at it. So I'd test the water at an actual lab and have them tell you what all is in that water. And maybe that would give you some kind of idea in terms of uh, you know, what's causing the problem. Okay, thanks for the question, Tracy, and and good luck here as we we try and diagnose what's going on out there and what we can do. Got this one from Robert. He said I attended a soils clinic that you had in Northern Iowa a few years back. Very informative. I am trying to start taking my own soil grid samples. I'm wondering if there is a charge to use your app if I'm only going to use it to set up grids and I'm going to send my samples to a local lab. Well, no, there's no charge to get on the app. Uh, it's just that you wouldn't be able to build variable rate maps and so forth using the app if you're sending the samples elsewhere, but you could certainly do that. So, yeah, there's a lot of, lot of different ways to go. It just depends on what you're going to do with those samples. So I'm not sure why you're pulling the grid samples if you're not going to do a little bit of variable rate. Maybe you just want to see what's going on out in the field, and if that's your target, you certainly can do it. Hey, thanks, Robert. We appreciate that. Thanks to everybody for listening today as well. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.